Luke chapter 5, and this morning we're looking at uh, verses 1 through verse 11. So now to the reading of God's holy word. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word... I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish. And their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a man of, I am a, a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Let's see the Lord's blessing on this, his holy word. O gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do praise You and thank You for the gift that You have given to us in Your Word, that it is our only infallible rule for faith and life. And Lord, as we come to this particular passage this morning, we ask that You would pour out Your Spirit upon us, leading us and guiding us to Your truth. And we pray that You would help us to find here uh, the truth to challenge us in our own walk with You, to draw us closer to Yourself, And to truly put our uh, faith and our hope and our trust in you alone. And so we ask now for your blessing upon your word. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Well Jesus calls his disciples and his followers to make a, a radical shift in how they think, act, and live. When we come to faith in Christ, we can't continue living the way that we once lived. We can't continue acting the way that we once acted, and we can't even continue to think the way that we once thought. Jesus Christ is to be the Lord of our lives, and this means that our selfish sin nature is no longer to be in charge. Now this is certainly a lot easier said than done. It's a challenge to think biblically, to act justly, and to live our lives in conformity to Christ and His Word. It's easy to say that we trust in Jesus, but it's much more of a challenge to actually live out that trust in our lives. In our passage this morning, we have the account of the miraculous catch of fish, a miracle which Jesus will use to begin gathering to Himself His first disciples. But as we'll see, Peter and the other disciples are greatly challenged to increasingly trust Jesus with everything they had. 
with their resources, with their hearts and their minds, and even with their very lives. Such trust is necessary for those who would be true disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. First, let's set the scene. As we often see throughout the Gospels, Jesus always has a crowd of following Him wherever He goes. Even when He tries to go off by Himself, uh, the crowds seem to know where He is or they track Him down, uh, almost in a sense, uh, maybe even hunting Him down and then swarming around Him. Well, they now have followed Him to, uh, to the Lake of Gennesaret, which is just another name for the Sea of Galilee. And of course, as we know, when the crowds begin to gather, Jesus is always interested in teaching the people. And here, they are very eager to hear him and what he has to say. So eager that they are pressed about him, as you see in verse 1. The word means to lean or lie down on. And so this entire multitude is crowding in around Jesus to be as close to him as possible. They were pressing in even against his body. He would hardly have room to move. But not only this, they're also now on the beach. And if they keep pressing and pressing him, well, sooner or later, Jesus may end up in the lake. Well, Jesus doesn't end up in the lake. He discovers there's, there's two empty fishing boats at the edge of the lake, and he gets into one. It happens to be one that belongs to, uh, to Simon Peter. And so finally, Jesus is free from these pressing crowds, but, but he still is filled with compassion for the people. It's great, and he doesn't want to discourage their hunger for his teaching and his authoritative teaching of God's Word. And so he asks Peter to put out from the land a bit, so that he could then teach the people from the boat. Well, this certainly was the most effective use of the resources at hand. Instead of just those who were immediately near him, all the people could now see Jesus. And Jesus could also see them as they were lined up along, uh, along the beach as he sat there in the boat. And it was also ideal acoustically as, as the sound of Jesus' voice would then be projected by the water so that everyone on the beach could also hear him again instead of just those who were closest to him. And of course, not only was such a position ideal for the people who were eager to hear him, but also for Jesus as he remained dry and didn't have to uh, hundreds of people pressing in around him and invading his personal space. But what about Peter? Here Peter has been fishing all night. He just finished cleaning his nets and was perhaps going home to uh, to maybe get something to eat and and perhaps take a nap. And then this thronging crowd of people come to the beach and then this Jesus suddenly gets in his boat as if it were his own. Now we know that Jesus, by this point, Jesus and Peter had already met a couple of times, most recently in, uh, in Peter's own house, where Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. And so Jesus getting to Peter's boat and, and using to teach the people may not seem so presumptuous. And certainly we don't get any indication that Peter is a protesting here or that he was offended by this. But you may wonder, at least, that it maybe strike him a little odd 
and think if it was, you know, yourself. Would that strike you as a little odd? Right? That, uh, you know, if I, for example, if I came to your house after you'd spent all day uh, washing and waxing your car, and, and I went and grabbed your keys and got in the car and said, hey, let's, you know, let's go out for a ride in this thing. What would you think? Would you think such boldness was a bit rude or inappropriate? Or even if I had just miraculously healed your mother-in-law, and, and you were certainly very appreciative of that, wouldn't you think it odd that I took this then somehow to mean that I had an open invitation to freely use your stuff whenever I want, for whatever purpose I wanted? Well, there's a big difference between your mother-in-law and, and your car, or your stuff. And it's, easy, it's easier for us to trust someone to help us or to uh, trust them to help someone in our family than it is to actually trust them to freely use our stuff. Well, whether Peter found Jesus' actions a bit odd, we don't know, but he does give us a challenging example. He trusted Jesus with the use of his boat. And so the question is, do you trust Jesus with your stuff? If you're to be a true disciple of Jesus, well then you must. Following Jesus as Lord involves acknowledging that all our stuff is now no longer our stuff, but it's God's. Right? First it's God's because God is the one who has graciously given us all the things that we have. Right? Every good and perfect gift comes down from the hand of the Heavenly Father. It's a gift that He gives to us and blesses us with. But as believers in Christ, our stuff is also God's, even doubly so, because now in Christ we've been redeemed by His shed blood on the cross. And all that we have, including we ourselves, now belongs to Him. <clears throat> but what kind of stuff are we talking about? Well, our possessions, our time, our talents, and our money. These all belong to God. They're to be freely at His disposal whenever He wants and for whatever purpose He wants. And when He calls upon us to use these resources, well, we must trust Him to use them for His glory. Even as Jesus was able to use Peter's boat to have more an effective God-glorifying ministry to the multitudes there on the shores of the lake. Well, how does God call us to use our stuff in such God-glorifying ways? Well, maybe someone needs a ride. Maybe just to town or maybe, you know, to, to Houston or somewhere else, a good distance. Well, we trust Jesus in that situation by not worrying about the cost of gas or not worrying about the wear and tear on our vehicle. And we, we take them and we show Christ's love and, and it's a witness to the glory of God when we do these kinds of things and serve. Or maybe someone help, needs help after uh, you know, just doing something around their, their house or maybe a tree has, has fallen in their yard and is blocking the driveway, has fallen on their house. Can we trust that Jesus will give us the time and enable us to have time to get all of our own work done and then we can go and help 
using our time and our talents to remove this tree and help those in need to rebuild. Again, showing Christ's love and as a witness to His glory. Another example would be the gospel is spreading rapidly in a a far-off land, but the mission work needs more funds to be more effective in their outreach. Well, we don't worry about our needs here in a land of plenty, but we trust Jesus by giving sacrificially so that the love of Christ and His glory might continue to shine, shine forth in faraway places. And so these are just a, a few examples of how we can trust Jesus with our stuff, the stuff that He's given to us, how we can trust Him to use it to expand His kingdom and to glorify Him. And so do you trust Jesus with your stuff? Well, after Jesus had finished teaching the people in verse 4, He tells Simon, uh, Peter, uh, to launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Well, this now puts Peter in a bit of a, of a dilemma. You saw by, by now it was a likely midday or close to it, not exactly the best time to go out on the lake to go fishing, especially out in the deep water. And in verse 5, Peter manages kind of a bit of a protest. Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Right? We've already been out there and we haven't gotten anything. And we can also imagine perhaps Peter was thinking, well, besides, we just finished cleaning our nets. We're tired and we're hungry. We've been up all night. And it's just not a good time to go fishing. He may be wondering, is this carpenter turned teacher now going to tell this expert fisherman how to fish? I mean, using the boat was one thing, but now is Peter to go against every bit of of knowledge, expertise, and experience he has? Everything he knew about fishing has got to be telling him, this is crazy, don't do it. And not only that, but Peter likely knows that he would be the laughingstock among all the other fishermen if they were to see him go back out onto the lake in the middle of the day, casting his nets. Well, Peter certainly doesn't want to offend Jesus, but does he really need to carry out this request? It just doesn't make sense. Again, it runs counter to established reason and knowledge. What does this carpenter know about fishing anyway? Why should Peter trust him? But then something amazing happens. Again, Peter knowing full well that this wasn't the time nor the place to catch fish, he willingly consents and submits to Jesus' request. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Peter trusted Jesus, not only in his heart, but also willfully with his mind as he now acts and as he casts the net, even though it meant contradicting everything he knew about fishing. And certainly, he would be glad he did. In verse 6, we're told that they caught a great number of of fish. In fact, it was so great that the nets began to break. And and so Peter had to signal uh, the other boat to come and help him. Uh, The boat, uh, perhaps uh, James and John, uh, who were his partners, they, they would have come. And again, how amazed they were when they pulled in this enormous haul of fish. 
And here then we have both boats were, were filled. And the fact there were so many fish that both boats would have struggled to make it back to shore because they were on the verge of sinking because of the weight of the fish. This was a, a huge catch of fish. Now we don't know how big their boats were. They probably weren't uh, very large boats. But even if it was the smallest of fishing boats, to have that such a boat begin to sink because of the weight of the fish would be some large amount of fish. Indeed, who would be the laughing stock now once they came back to shore? And so Peter trusted Jesus, even though it ran contrary to everything he knew. And he showed this trust by actually following through and doing what Jesus told him to do. Do you trust Jesus with your heart and your mind? Again, it's easy to say to yourself in your heart, yes, I trust Jesus. It's even to say openly and publicly to others, yes, I trust in Jesus. But as His disciples, Jesus calls us to not only trust within our hearts, but to consciously and willingly trust Him with our minds so that we end up commit uh, commit to and actually do what He calls us to to do. And this, even when it seems outrageously contrary to our knowledge and our set practice. Indeed, this is the essence of faith. Right? As the writer of the Hebrews notes in Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is believing without seeing and trusting what God has done and said, even though we don't fully understand, even though we can't see everything. That's the essence of faith. Now, this doesn't mean that faith is irrational. Far from it. We do have reasons, and good reasons, to believe in God and what He tells us in His Word, right? We have the evidence of of God in creation, so that even the heavens declare His glory and His power. We have the evidence of uh, God's Word, the Bible, which is the most established and, and most verified ancient document in existence. We have the evidence of the Holy Spirit in us who who confirms to us the truth of God. And we also have the evidence of what God has graciously done in our own lives and the lives of those around us in our hearts, transforming our hearts through faith in Jesus Christ. These are all reasonable and solid foundations of, of, of our faith in Jesus Christ. It's very rational. Now what's irrational is exchanging the truth of God for a lie and worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator. Or ignoring and suppressing the evidence of the God who is the righteous judge of all the earth. That's irrational. And yet that's what many, many people do. So we do have a reasonable faith. But that faith in Christ requires that we truly and fully trust in Christ. Even and especially when we don't understand. It may go against our own wisdom, against our own knowledge or experience, but we must trust Him with our hearts and our minds by actually doing what He's called us to do. What are some examples of this type of trust? 
Well, Jesus calls us to love one another. Do we trust Him by actually showing this love toward one another with words of encouragement or or sharing one another's burdens and praying with and, and for one another? Jesus calls us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Do we trust Him by actually treating others with goodness, kindness, gentleness, and respect? Or do we just give lip service to His command? And Jesus even calls us to love our enemies. Now this is, this is challenging. But do we trust Jesus enough to actually be kind and to do good to those who mistreat us and to those who offend us in some way? You see, if we're true disciples of Christ, we'll trust Him with our hearts and our minds, believing and doing what he has called us to do. Peter, James, and John, to this great catch of fish, are overwhelmed and amazed. And Peter, even at this early point, kind of takes on the, the spokesman role, uh, speaking for the rest of, the, of the, the disciples. He humbles himself before Jesus and he declares, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And what was the reason for this response? Well, we don't know exactly what the miracle was in this situation. We don't know whether it was Jesus had this knowledge of exactly where this large group of fish were going to be and he directed them to that place. Or perhaps it could have been that with His power and authority, Jesus actually commanded these fish to gather together in this place at that time that they were there. Well, either way, both of these would demonstrate that Jesus was no ordinary man. Having such knowledge or having such power and authority could only belong to God. And so Peter sees this and he calls him Lord. And realizing that he's now in the presence of the Lord God who alone is holy, 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 Peter quickly acknowledges his own unworthiness because of his sin and because of any doubts he may have had. And his response is one of humility. And a right acknowledgement of the vast difference between a most holy God and sinful man. But look how Jesus responds to Peter in verse 10. Do not be afraid. What comforting words Jesus speaks here. Do not be afraid, Peter. For though I am the most holy Lord God, I have not come... To destroy you. And so whereas Peter pleads, depart. Jesus, in in essence, responds, Do not be afraid, but come near. Jesus wants Peter to draw close to Him. To draw close to His holiness. To draw close to the purpose that He has for him. And this is seen by Jesus' following words, from now on you will catch men. And Jesus is telling Peter 
that from this point on, his, his career has now changed. He'll no longer uh, catch fish, but his life will be used by Jesus to catch men. Literally to catch them alive. So that they might be a part of God's kingdom forever. And so trusting their lives to Jesus... These men show their readiness for radical discipleship. When we then read in verse 11, that they forsook all and followed Him. Their boats, their nets, their livelihood, even their families. Everything in their lives that they held near and dear, they left behind to follow Jesus. Now this certainly is radical. But we mustn't think that it was radical to the point of irresponsibility. You see, Jesus was here uh, calling these men to devote themselves to following Him, to really make it their primary profession in life, to be His disciples, and to fulfill the calling that He's now placing upon Him, or upon them. And certainly, much of their time over the next couple of years would be spent not fishing, but following Jesus and sitting constantly under his teaching. Now we know that they still fished for a living. Uh, as they were doing, remember when Jesus appeared to them after his resurrection. And we even know that uh, later the Apostle Paul comments in 1 Corinthians 9. That, that Peter took along his believing wife when he went out on, on missionary journeys. And so Peter did not abandon his wife and his family. And so Jesus isn't saying here to leave behind everything, even if it means you'll neglect your proper duties and responsibilities. No, not at all. But Jesus is calling them to make serving Him their chief priority. Because He had a plan and a purpose for their lives to use them for His glory. And so they trusted Jesus with their lives and they followed after Him. So what about you? Do you trust Jesus with your life? You see, now the the level of trust that Jesus demands of those who would be His disciples has just been ratcheted up another notch. And He wants you to trust Him with your stuff. And He wants you to trust Him with your heart and your mind. And He wants you to trust Him with your lives. Because He truly does have a plan and purpose for each of you. And this plan is to draw you closer to Himself. Yes, we're sinful. And God is most holy. But God's plan is to make you holy even as He is holy. Indeed, He wants to form and fashion you after the likeness of His own perfect Son. He wants you to forsake all sin. And stand clothed in His glorious and righteous robes. Do you trust Jesus to make you holy in life? His plan and purpose is also to use you, to use your gifts, talents, and resources for His glory and in service to Him. And Peter and his partners were uneducated fishermen. They were looked down upon by many in society. Indeed, in the wisdom of the world, it was quite foolish for Jesus to choose such men To be his disciples. But God's plan was to use them despite all their weaknesses. Despite their shortcomings. Even despite their sin. Indeed it's truly humbling. 
when you consider how imperfect we are. Right? Each and every one of us knows our own sins. We even know of the habitual sins that we struggle with daily, and yet Jesus is pleased to use us so that we might accomplish His will and His purpose. He pours out His grace upon us so that He call, as He calls us to do what He's called us to do for His glory. Do you trust Jesus to use you in your life for His glory? His plan and purpose is also to provide for us, to free us from worry so that we can follow Him with all the focus and devotion of our lives. I want you to note here how how Jesus provided for these disciples and even for their families. Remember that, that great hall of fish it's so numerous that it was beginning to sink these two fishing boats. Indeed, this miracle was actually a way to prepare the disciples uh, to truly follow Jesus with everything because all those fish, whether they would actually be uh, eaten by them or would be sold in the markets, would have provided well enough for these men and their families during the time that they spent with Jesus away from their trade. They didn't have to be concerned about whether their families had enough uh, provision. Because through this miracle, the Lord Jesus Christ has now provided for them and would continue to provide for them. We truly trust Jesus with our lives. We must know and trust that He truly will provide for us. That whatever we lack for the task that He's given to us, He provides us with the means. If we lack faith, He'll give us faith. If we lack wisdom, He gives wisdom. If we lack uh, boldness, He gives us boldness. If we lack opportunity, He will open doors for us. If we lack resources, He provides for us. By His grace, He will equip us, strengthen us, and empower us to do what He has called us to do. We're unable to do it on our own. We trust Him to provide for us. He doesn't leave us without any help, without any resources. Friends, do you trust Jesus to provide for you in these ways? Indeed, beloved of God, consider this great challenge, this this call to a radical discipleship and, and full dependence upon Jesus Christ. Trust Jesus with everything you have. Trust Him to use your stuff and your resources as a blessing to others that glorifies Him. Trust Him with your heart and mind, committing yourself to actually go and do what it is He's calling you to do. Trust Him with every facet of your lives, making His service your chief priority. And indeed, He will provide for you. And most of all, trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. And He will surely work in you and through you to the glory of God alone. Let's pray. Gracious God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks for your challenge to us this morning. Oftentimes we trust in ourselves. We trust in our jobs. We trust in the work that we do. We, 
We trust in our knowledge and our experience. We trust in our in our stuff and our expense, our possessions and our money and our bank accounts. But Lord, you call us to not put our trust in these things which are of this world which will quickly pass away. But that we are to put our trust in you and in your son Jesus Christ. Lord, it's challenging, but we know that you will give us the grace and the strength to trust you in this radical way, to trust you that you will truly provide for us all that we need, that you will use us and our stuff for your glory as we entrust it all to your care, because it all belongs to you anyway. And so, Father, we pray that your Spirit would truly be at work in each of our hearts, impressing these truths upon us, that our only trust and our only hope would be in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, we pray that as we would so trust you, that you truly would be pleased to use us to serve you, to serve your will and your purpose and the calling which you have called each of us to fulfill. That we would be faithful witnesses to those around us. And that we would bear witness to the transforming power of the gospel and bear witness to your glory to those who are in need. That they might, through that witness, find you and seek you out and be drawn to you by your grace and your spirit. Father, we pray that you would so glorify yourself in and through us. That you would even use our own congregation here to, to be faithful in that. That we would trust you to provide for us, to provide uh, the means necessary to, to reach the lost. That you would continue to, to strengthen us as a body. that we might uphold that banner of truth and righteousness, being a beacon of light and hope in this community. We trust you, O Lord, to bring these things about, not only for our good, but ultimately and especially for your glory and praise alone. We pray all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.